Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 186 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Episode 186, also known as the beginning of the 23-24 playoff extravaganza. This week, we're going to break down all the super wild card weekend matchups. We're going to give my picks for the entirety of the postseason. Will they be accurate? Probably not, but we can all make fun of me at the end. Uh, also going to compare it to our picks at the beginning of the year. Not sure if we made picks at the halfway point of the year. Don't think we did. But we'll tie that all together. Um, hope you all are having a great week. Ready for some playoff football action. Hope you all enjoyed week 18. It was pretty entertaining. We got some close games from some teams that really didn't have much to play for. That was good. It was good for the content. Speaking of good content, we're going to start this episode like we start all the others. Let's jump right in to my standout seven. And we're going to go one to three like we always do. Realistically, it's just the top two. Bigger story, the Jaguars choking away the AFC South. Or the Houston Texans, positivity swing, pulling away with the W, clinching a postseason spot for the first time in quite some time. And the first time in the post-Deshaun Watson era. Um... Spoilers, since we're in playoff mode, I'm going to go Houston Texans here. But let's keep it chronological. I want to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars first. And this is a significant, I I would say, setback for the Jaguars. Not just because they missed the postseason. Not just because they made some cleaning moves in their coaching staff. But realistically, it's because they came into this season, as far as I was concerned, the hands-down favorite in this division. Tennessee in a down year, right? An expected down year. Houston, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback. Not a strong supporting cast on the offensive side. What are they going to get out of their defense? What is D'Amico Ryan's going to bring to the table as a head coach? And then you mix in the Indianapolis Colts, who very quickly had their top draft pick go down. There's no way this should have been a contest, right? Last five games of the year. They lose in overtime to the Cincinnati, excuse me, last six games of the year. They lose week 13 prime time against the Bengals. Now you might be saying, well, you know, I mean, the Bengals got a pretty talented squad. This is against Jake Browning. 354 yards through the air for Jake Browning. Come on, guys. That can't happen. The next week they lose to the Browns. Fair enough. The Browns are a playoff team. Then they lose to the Ravens. Fair enough. The Ravens are a playoff team. They lose to the Bucks. If you want to be that guy, fair enough. The Bucks are a playoff team. Close loss to the Browns on the scoreboard. Two-score loss to the Ravens. Some real bad mistakes. Trevor Lawrence with a bad fumble in that game. Um, unforced errors. Tampa Bay beats them by 18, which is alrighty. Sure. Battle for Florida, let's call it. They beat Carolina handedly. 26-0 in Week 17. And they're walking into a divisional matchup against a team that has benched their veteran quarterback and then been forced to bring their veteran quarterback back into play because of Will Levis' injury against Derrick Henry in what might be his final game as a Tennessee Titan. And what happens? Two interceptions for Trevor Lawrence. Travis Etienne doesn't really get the ball a super amount. I mean, he gets 16 carries and he gets five catches. I don't know. When it came down to it, they couldn't. Get over the hump. 
They had set themselves back a couple of turnovers on downs, if memory serves. Um, it's just a bad showing. And I mean, on the other side, it's not like Tannehill had a monster game. Buck 68, two touchdowns and a pick himself. It's Derrick Henry going for a buck 50 on the ground. And like, realistically, as far as the game plan goes, if this is going to be Derrick Henry's final game as a Titan, and we'll talk about that more in the offseason mold uh, later in a handful of episodes, once we get post-Super Bowl and everything. But, I mean, you can't. You can't let him beat you. If <sighs> Come on, guys. And look, Doug Peterson knows what he's doing as a coach, I think. He's a Super Bowl champion. I can't put it all on Doug, but come on, Doug. Your team cannot collapse in this fashion. Because you look back at some of the games they played earlier in the year, right? They lose to Kansas City by one score. It's competitive. They get blown out by Houston in Week 3. But then they go on a stretch of win over the Falcons, who are almost a playoff team, win over the Bills in their slide, win over the Colts by two scores. They beat New Orleans. They beat Pittsburgh. You get blown out by San Fran. Okay, that happens. But you can't afford to lose to Tampa Bay as easily as you did. You can't lose to Jake Browning. And you especially can't lose with everything on the line. You didn't even have to face a team that was chasing you. You got the one divisional opponent that was playing just to play spoiler. They're not going to the postseason. They're going to Cancun. Well, so were you. Let's talk about the Houston Texans. And the amount of grit they showed in their victory over the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I would be remiss to say. The Colts had it in their hands, right? We're talking very late in this game. All Gardner Minshew has to do is put it a little out in front of his backup running back, running out to the flats, and they're chilling, right? Uh, And if you want to be that guy, you could say all Tyler Goodson has to do is close his hands on the football, and they're chilling. Do I think it was a horrible throw? No. Was it a great throw? No. What I think is horrible is the fact that Tyler Goodson, and look, I'm not going to rip Tyler Goodson because there's nothing wrong with being an NFL backup. He's a rookie. He's on a team with Jonathan Taylor, an elite NFL running back. A couple of weeks ago, nobody was saying anything when Goodson was averaging six yards a carry against the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Then it was like, oh, look at him go. I mean, relax, guys. Spot time here. He ends the year with 19 touches. Like, very limited action for Tyler Goodson. Not going to rip him. And he owned up to it after the game. And so did Gardner Minshew, to both of their credit. They both said, should have made a better play. And quite honestly, they're probably both right. However, I cannot comprehend how Jonathan Taylor, who has 32 touches for 196 yards, is on the sideline there. And I further cannot comprehend that when you line up to go for this fourth and short with three timeouts, right? You line up to go for it and then try to draw the Texans offsides only to then blow a timeout with 66 seconds left. And then after the timeout, have Taylor off the field. Have Taylor not be even the target on this play. I don't get it. I mean, if it was Michael Pittman, I would say, you know what? 
He's their best receiver. It happens. Um, I just can't. I can't. And as someone who's a Gardner Minshew supporter, he had a bad game. 13-24, buck 41. But they're right there in it. Right? They're right there in it. When it mattered. All he had to do, him and Goodson just had to connect, and they just couldn't. Um, yeah, just awful. Awful, man. I was dumbfounded. Because also, like, if you're going to go for it and not get it, can you hold all three timeouts? Like, that was a bonehead coaching decision. First of all, the play call, obviously, with the back, going to the backup running back, maybe that wasn't the first read, but it looked pretty open to me. I understand why Minshew made that read. But then the other thing is, you have three timeouts. You can afford to not get this. Because the defense made a stop. The defense stopped the Texans. If you had all three timeouts, it would have been a completely different story. Do you win the game? Probably not. But you have a chance. I can't fathom uh, those decisions on top of each other in a big game. And I think that the Colts have a bright future. I think it's unfortunate that Anthony Richardson didn't get his full rookie season, so there might be some growing pains next year. Um, But I do think this coaching staff and these players show that they can fight and they can compete in this division and in the American football conference. And, uh, yeah, it it was a good year. It was a good year. Sometimes good years don't end with championships. Sometimes they don't even end in the postseason, unfortunately, but you know what the postseason will have is an appearance for the Houston Texans who did go out there with their rookie QB, 20 of 26, 264 and two touchdowns, given Devin Singletary, the ball, 24 carries for 63. It's not tremendous. It's not pretty, but it did a job. Nico Collins with an otherworldly performance, considering the circumstances. I think Nico Collins is a pretty good receiver. Do I think he's, you know, a superstar budding? No, but I mean, after 195 yards in a big game, I tend to think maybe my critiques of the Texans not having the skill position talent were inaccurate. Maybe my writing the obituary for this team when Tank Dell got hurt and then Stroud got the concussion were a little premature. Maybe Nico Collins can be that dude. We'll find out when they go up against the Cleveland Browns in no time. But the bigger story is easily, since we're keeping it positive, it's a playoff special, easily the Houston Texans. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to Texan fans everywhere. Congrats to D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud, the rookie coach, the rookie QB, doing it when no one thought they could. Number two in the standout seven, let's talk about two more playoff teams, shall we? Bigger story, the Pittsburgh Steelers returning to the postseason, albeit with a backup QB in some weird circumstances, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers clutching up in the post-Brady era and returning to the dance as well. Now, why did I pair these two teams? Well, it's two teams that clinch for a postseason. Well, no, that's not accurate. I paired these two teams because the Pittsburgh Steelers played their biggest game of the year against Baltimore Ravens backups predominantly, right? Tyler Huntley, starting QB. They had the Gus Bus back there for 10 carries. Nelson Aguilar, the leading receiver. Um, It's Baltimore backups, and they barely won that game. This game was tied going into the fourth quarter. And as much as if you're a fan, you're like, you know what? We made the postseason. This was an awful year in terms of injuries and certain things not bouncing our way. But when push came to shove, we took care of business. 
And that's what Mike Tomlin's preaching, right? Do your job, take care of business, handle what we can handle, and they handled it. And admittedly, this Pittsburgh team usually doesn't win pretty. And it was not pretty. Mason Rudolph, a buck 50 and a touchdown. Hey, he's 18 for 20. Got sacked a handful of times. I think he fumbled two or three times. 18 for 20. A touchdown. Najee Harris looked tremendous. Right? 26 carries for a buck 12. Doing the job. Long touchdown to Deontay Johnson. All right. Sure. Um, the problem I have is, due to the circumstances that played out in the Sunday night football game, which we will discuss next, could have led the show with it, but I like it better this way. Keep the format, you know, the way we usually do it. They're going to have to go to Buffalo, or potentially to Cleveland, based on forecasting things. Here's my thing. I'm not sure of the logistics of what's being debated here. I'm not sure of the 100% accuracy of what I'm about to tell you. But in true journalistic fashion, I'm going to say it anyway. I've heard that Cleveland could wind up hosting this playoff game, and I, there's no way, right? Like, that's got to be shenanigans. I have to have been misled, led astray, right? Because for me, the obvious choice would be, depending on weather, and I don't know the weather in Cleveland this weekend, but Cleveland is not hosting a playoff game. You should not send Pittsburgh to play a playoff game in the home stadium of one of their rivals. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, it, it would be bizarre. I think the option would be that they could be moved to... Look, if we're going to do it in Ohio, we might as well go to Cincinnati, yeah? Which is also a division rival, but it's at least not a team that's in the playoffs right now. Realistically, my suggestion was going to be Minnesota, which is way out of the way. I get it, but it's a dome, right? Like, we're going to move just to still play in the elements? What are we doing? We might as well just play in Buffalo, then. I don't know. I would say this as well, and this is not brain surgery. A sloppy, cold game should benefit Pittsburgh's style of play much more so than that of Buffalo. I get it. Buffalo's shown some heart and some grit getting this far, but they still like to throw the football. They like to put up some points. You know who doesn't really like to put up that many points? The Pittsburgh Steelers. They are content to win 17-10 to in the biggest game of their year. Oh, by the way, I opened this up by saying which one is the bigger story. I'm not certain there is one. Truly. Let's talk Tampa Bay, and then I'll revisit that. Tampa Bay, in their biggest game of the year, faced the worst team in the NFL. And they did not look good either. Baker Mayfield apparently battling a rib injury as well as a lower body injury as he was limping and gimping all over the field. Goes for a buck 37 through the air. Rashad White goes for all-purpose 23 touches, 93 yards. Right? Not a huge game for anyone on their offense. Somehow still better than the Panthers' offense. Bryce Young, 11 of 18, 94 yards. Um, Chuba Hubbard, decent game on the ground, 23 for 83, mix in two catches for about nine yards. The Carolina Panthers have some serious rethinking to do in the offseason. Um, they're in a very odd spot. They don't have their draft pick, despite the fact they are not good, right? They traded up 
to secure Bryce Young. It's not like they can all of a sudden do the quick audible and go get Caleb Williams or Drake May. I think I called him Mays last week, but, you know, tomato, potato, right? Um, Yeah, they can't make that move, so they really need to hit a home run on the head coaching decision, which is upcoming. As for the Buccaneers, unfortunately, due to the way some things shook out, and look, honestly, they were going to wind up facing the non-winner of the NFC East, no matter what. They had already been clinched. They wind up with Philly, the defending NFC champs. I'm not sure that's the team you would have picked, but then again, I'm not sure you want to face Dallas either. You know what I mean? They're both, at least as of recent, looking to be better teams than Tampa Bay. Maybe Philly didn't take it so seriously when they wound up losing to the Giants significantly by the end of the first half. Then you have Jalen Hurts with the injury to his finger, which supposedly was not as serious as it looked, because my eyes told me it looked pretty serious. Um, Yeah. Very interesting, to say the least. The bigger winner? I'm not sure. I'll make an argument for both here, and then I'll let you guys decide. Comment section, if where you're listening, has a comment section or social media. All social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D. I see. For Pittsburgh, it's just a matter of, oh, we had another non-losing season. Oh, we had another non-losing... No. It's not just a non-losing season. It's a playoff season. And you went into Baltimore and won your biggest game of the year. And you did so with Mason Rudolph. Look, is Mason Rudolph going to be their starting quarterback moving forward? I highly doubt it. But he clutched up when it mattered. Put you in a good spot. The spot being the postseason. Anyway, when it comes to Tampa Bay, you're in the post-Tom Brady era, and it's important to realize you still have the core of a pretty decent team here. Is Baker going to be your guy moving forward? I'm not 100% certain of that either. But I would say this. Of the two, I would much rather have Baker Mayfield season than the season of all the quarterbacks combined for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, let's be genuine here. Not sure if you guys really paid attention to the year Baker was having. Not, you know. He threw for 4,000 yards. He had 28 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. It's pretty good. In the last five games of the season, they go 4-1. and one. They win a divisional game against Atlanta. They beat Green Bay. They beat Jacksonville. Lose to New Orleans, and they beat Carolina. He's beat up in the last game. He goes 137, no touchdowns, no picks. The other four games, he combines to throw for 10 touchdowns to two interceptions. He did the thing. He played good. He really did. I think Baker Mayfield's gotten a little bit of a bad rap. I was, look, and I'm the wrong one. If you guys have been around, first of all, thanks for sticking around. If you haven't, I'll fill you in. I was high on last year's Carolina Panthers chances, which was clearly an awful idea. I thought Baker would have a little bit of a renaissance. I was a year early, evidently. Coming into this year, I had to decide between, you know, Tampa Bay's core with Baker or Derek Carr having a little bit of a bounce back year. I leaned the Derek Carr direction. Derek Carr ended the year with 25 touchdowns to eight picks, but admittedly, I don't think he played that great. I don't I think don't think New Orleans lived up to their talent, and part of that is Michael Thomas got hurt again. Alvin Kamara was suspended. It just wasn't a good year for them. 
Tampa Bay, and look, it's barely a difference between their record and Tampa Bay's record. So if you want to make the argument to me that Baker didn't play that well either, I guess fair enough. But one guy is going to be playing next weekend and uh, leaving his team with an interesting decision to make come off-season time. Though they hope that decision won't be made for quite some time. Number three in the standout seven. We're not going bigger story. We're going to go primetime breakdown. There was only one primetime game. You know this. Week 18. Let's talk Bills-Dolphins. And this game came down to the fourth quarter. It was 14-7 Miami. Three quarters of football being played. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. It, it's intriguing to me the way this game played out. Pre-halftime, Buffalo's got the ball, buck 50. Buffalo winds up going for a touchdown. Late, late, no timeouts. They wind up stopped short of the goal line, no time left for their final play. It's 14-7 at halftime, and it's being a native New Yorker, and I harp on this all the time, it is eerily reminiscent of the end of the first half between the Giants and the Bills, in which now it's obviously not the same circumstance in terms of the play call and things like that, but eerily reminiscent in that the Buffalo Bills wind up in a spot where they run an aggressive play, trying to get a touchdown instead of just taking the points in a close game, and it backfires. It backfires immediately. And we saw Sean McDermott talking to the sideline reporter. Uh, I'm sorry, I forget the name. Talking to the NBC sideline reporter and discussing how that can't happen. Well, I hate to break it to you, Sean, but everyone in your organization should know that because you played through an opposing team doing just that. And I'm sure you guys were high-fiving in the locker room over just that same mistake. Intriguing. Intriguing that that happens. Um, yeah. Later on, you have Josh Allen getting strip sack in the red zone. Um, huge punt return out of Deontay Hardy for the Buffalo Bills. Tied up with 13 to go. Buffalo winds up taking the lead. And, you know, a buck 50 with a chance to tie it again. We've seen this situation for Miami before. There's more than enough time. Go tie the game. Go win the game. Go do something. You lose 21-20 because you did a Dan Campbell and you went for two? Okay, whatever. You get in the red zone and you can't get across the goal line? Okay, whatever. But what can happen is, similar to Indy, a play where Tyreek Hill is on the sideline and Tua says, you know what, I'm just going to chuck it into double coverage. And interception, all of a sudden, instead of hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I'm going to be honest with you, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the team you want to play in this playoff rumble here. Obviously, you don't want to play Baltimore, right? The winner of this game is the two seed. I don't think you want to play Kansas City either because you're going into brutal cold weather on top of the fact you are facing championship pedigree. And that is something that cannot be quantified, right? You can quantify it by saying, well, they've won. No, I mean literally. There is no, oh, let's go out and get some guys that have that. If your team has the pedigree and the grit to go through and turn around and all of a sudden be good enough to win, when they're looking bad, when all of a sudden you were a passing team all year, now you got to run the ball. You were a running team all year, and now you got to get you got to get some turnovers, right? 
will the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year? Not sure. We'll pick that in the pick'em portion. But I will say this. They're the defending champs for a reason. They may not be the team they were last year, but the team they were last year was down in the Super Bowl, just like they were the first time they were in the Super Bowl. And what happened? Ring on Big Red's finger. Ring on Patty Mahomes' finger. The Chiefs are not a team that Miami wants to face, and that's who they're going to have to face. Keep throwing down the gauntlet here, by the way. Do you want to face C.J. Stroud, hot rookie QB with D'Amico Ryans, hot rookie quarter, uh, excuse me, head coach? What can he draw up defensively to offset your team? Cleveland, Joe Flacco making a miracle run for the career, for the legacy? Do you want to face that team? Sorry, Pittsburgh fan. You guys are the seven seed for a reason. Didn't mean to, you know, bleep talk you a little bit here, but it did fit in. I'm sorry. Um, on the Bills side of this, they really tried to beat themselves, huh? I mean, they should have won this game easily. They win 21-14. It's, it's a, uh, a rough one to watch for Bills fans. Two interceptions for Josh Allen. One of them is just an arm punt, just chucking it up. He also overthrew Stephon Diggs on a touchdown. Wide open, running down the field. The guy's got a rocket for an arm. Overthinking it a little, I'm not sure what you'd say there. Um, we, I mentioned the strip sack. The one thing I would say, it is not sustainable for Josh Allen to have 15 carries in a game. But, that's not true. It's not sustainable over the course of a season. We're not in a season anymore. You just got to win a handful of games here. Can he carry the ball 10 times, 12 times a game? He just might be able to when it matters, in the postseason. I've been saying for years, Buffalo needs to run the football. If this is the way they're going to do it, Josh has got to protect the ball. If it's on the ground, maybe it's a little safer than him chucking it through the air. Um, big game for Khalil Shakir, talented wideout. Stephon Diggs at 87, could add even more. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, seems like they got a pretty good tight end out there. To pair with Dawson Knox, eventually take over the mantle uh, sooner probably rather than later. Congrats to the Bills. Tremendous victory. Tremendous. Dolphins are on thin ice, and they're going to be on ice in Kansas City. Number four in standout seven, usually the primetime wrap-up. But this week, it's going to be the Black Monday wrap-up. Let's talk about all the moves made and uh, quickly breeze through them. I'll tell you what I think. The Atlanta Falcons laid off Arthur Smith. Okay. We'll talk about the Falcons' drama with the New Orleans Saints in a sec. Probably should have left that till the end, but you know what? I was excited to bring it up. Arthur Smith let go. There's really no argument against it, right? 7-10 and ten times 3, right? An offense that just didn't ever seem to get going. It, it, yeah. In a very winnable division. Multiple times. All right. Makes sense. Carolina Panthers fire their general manager. Fair enough. I guess they didn't believe they put enough talent around Bryce Young, and if that's what they believe, they're correct. Um, I'd say this. I saw people arguing online. Oh, well, C.J. Stroud easily walked into a better situation than Bryce Young. Well, Bryce Young's team brought in the starting running back from the Super Bowl losing team to be their lead back, to pair with Chuba Hubbard. They also brought in a veteran wideout in Adam Thielen, is their offense tremendous? They also brought in DJ Chark. Is their offense tremendous? No. But the Texans' offense last year, like I think people are overrating 
what C.J. Stroud walked into because of how well they played. Last year, the Texans were 313-1 under Lovey Smith. They had, in their passing game, 20 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. Their leading running back was Damian Pierce, who's a good running back. 13 games, he almost rushed for 1,000 yards. This year, this year, how many yards did he rush for? 400. He barely played. He had less carries this year due to returning from injuries. Who was their leading wideout last year? Brandon Cooks, no longer on the team. No longer on the team. Nico Collins last year had 480 receiving yards. I looked at Nico Collins as a decent guy. Two years in the league, 446, 481. This year he had double the number of receptions. He had almost triple the amount of receiving yards. C.J. Stroud walked in and made them better around him. I'm not saying Bryce Young is a bust like some people have already begun arguing, which I think is really, really heinous to make that argument after one season. One season in which his head coach was fired. Let's Can we at least give him, like, most of his rookie contract before we make this discussion? I mean, come on, guys. This is ridiculous. Um, I'd say Bryce Young didn't look tremendous, right? There's rookie QBs that go out there and you see flashes right away. But then there's rookie QBs like Trevor Lawrence, where the bulk of the year, as a rookie, he didn't look good. He did not. You know, there's some people that saying after the Jaguars collapse this year that maybe Trevor Lawrence is a straight-up bust. We'll see how true that is as we move forward. Um, other firing news and notes here. Ron Rivera finally laid off in Washington. I mean, it took long enough. Not trying to rip Ron Rivera. I think Ron Rivera in Carolina was a pretty good coach. The Riverboat Ron era is... Come on. It's been over. His last two years in Carolina, he went 12-16. and 16. His entire tenure in Washington, they never had a winning record. They end with, or sorry, he ends with a total record of 26-40-1. 26-40-1. And you look at his time in Carolina, he's 76-63-1. If you take out the Super Bowl season, he has a losing record. It's rude to take out the Super Bowl season, right? But I'm just putting it out there. Clearly, consistency has not been uh, a strong suit of the Ron Rivera-coached squadrons. 12-4 one year in Carolina, 7-8-1 the next. 15-1, fired a year after that. Will Ron get another job is the question. Because I'm not certain the NFL hasn't kind of moved on. Maybe he'll move into a bit of a Jack Del Rio sort of role where he's just kind of a DC bouncing around doing what he can. Does he want to do that? Does he want to be a head coach or nothing? Does he want to be an executive? Time will tell. I think Ron Rivera... I'm not sure how to phrase it. I think it'd be an understatement to say Ron Rivera knows football. But when you hear the stories of somebody like Taylor Heineke saying he had to tell his coaching staff to play Sam Howell because they were just going to run Heineke out there at the end of their season against Dallas when the game meant nothing and he wasn't coming back. Like, what? Why? Like, that's not something I want to hear. That doesn't inspire faith. 
there's some times that I'll bring up, oh, that's a fireable offense. That That's one of them. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. More coaching moves. The New York Giants got rid of their O-line coach, their special teams coach. They've already got a new O-line coach. Um, they fired some defensive assistants, and then Wink Martindale reportedly got into a heated argument, discussion, berating of head coach Brian Dable and stormed out. And then they said he resigned, but then he said he didn't resign. And then it's now come out that, no, yeah, he's not coming back. So, all right. I think Wink Martindale's a pretty good defensive coordinator. You have some things coming out now that, oh, Brian Dable on game day is so hard to deal with and all these shenanigans. I think that's very clearly just coming out of the fact that these guys were laid off. Um, nobody was saying that last year when the Giants were a playoff team. Nobody would be saying that this year considering the fact the Giants were a handful of games away from a playoff berth and they had the whole shenanigans against the Jets, the penalty that wasn't called against the Bills, and then never mind the way the first game against Philly ended. Their team is still pretty good. Dayball seems to know what he's doing. Give it a chance to bounce back next year. Not to mention, they lost their starting QB, who they threw $40 million at. Come on. Um, Jacksonville, we mentioned before, fired their defensive coaching staff. I mean, Derrick Henry goes for a buck ninety in a game that you knew he was going to you know, probably play his heart out, potentially his last game in Tennessee. Kind of can't happen. Um, Chicago, the Bears, firing their offensive coordinator and QB coach, but keeping... Coach Eberflus, interesting to me. Uh, Matt Eberflus, I think they improved this year, the Chicago Bears. You look at their record, and it's obvious. Do I think Justin Fields is their guy? I don't know. We talked about this before. I thought it would be a big statement game to go out there and beat the Packers. And when push came to shove, they just weren't good enough. I mean, Fields threw for a buck fifty and ran for 27 yards. Um... On the other side, Jordan Love had five incompletions and threw for 316. Aaron Jones ran for a buck 11. I mean, based off this year alone, I would say Jordan Love is already a better QB than Justin Fields. He's already a better QB than quite a few guys. Shocking amount of guys. I thought Jordan Love, you know, I didn't know what to think because he hadn't played much when Rodgers was there. I thought, well... They'll give him a go, and then they'll probably wind up drafting a QB either this coming season, which would be the 24 draft, or maybe the 25 draft. After this year, I don't know. Look, if Daniel Jones can have one decent season and get an extension, then Jordan Love's agent should be salivating after the season he's had. More coach changes. Mike Vrabel, no longer the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. This was shocking to me. I don't understand. It was insinuated by ownership that the head coach and the front office were not on the same page. There was a GM move made last year, and evidently Vrabel and the new GM, I guess, butted heads. Um, I don't know. It, it's weird to me. It's very weird to me to make this move. And then you also have the chaser of this is Bill Belichick no longer going to be coaching the New England Patriots. All right, well, everyone immediately jumped to, well, Vrabel's going to be the successor. And... My question would be, how much input did Bill Belichick have in naming his successor? Now, Gerard Mayo winds up named the head coach. I got no beef with that at all. I think Gerard Mayo was a great player, usually an underrated linebacker, linebacking talent. His whole career is played out in New England. Presumably has a decent connection with Robert Kraft, which is why he would get this opportunity, the chance to follow up Bill Belichick. Um, 
would we assume that Bill would want Vrabel? I mean, I think Mike Vrabel is a good coach. I really do. I think he's a good NFL head coach. And he's proven that. They've won playoff games. I think it would be bizarre if somehow it was held explicitly against him the way they played this season. Because going into the season, who thought this Titans team was going to be a playoff team? They're a team based on offense, pretty much solely around Derrick Henry. And their receiving core has never been anywhere near the top tier of the leagues in the last handful of years. I don't understand. I I, I just don't. You bring in DeAndre Hopkins, who, to be quite honest, didn't have a bad year. I mean, 75 catches, 1,057 yards. It went better than when they brought in Julio Jones, right? You guys remember that Julio Jones was a Titan? That was the thing. Uh, he had 30 catches in 10 games, which is not bad, right? I mean, it was okay. But, uh, yeah, that didn't go well either. So, I mean, you bring in one aging superstar receiver. You bring in another aging superstar receiver. Do you make any improvements at the tight end position? Are, are you going to – is Tannehill the guy? Right? Because Tannehill's been the guy. But then you went and got Levis, which leads me to believe that you're not confident Tannehill's the guy. Levis looked okay, right? Didn't look tremendous, but he didn't look bad. He had the typical rookie flashes of he could be a pretty good QB. So now what? What are you going to do moving forward? It's weird. Um, there's also some revisionist history going on. People talking about, well, why would the Patriots have given Vrabel the job? Why? What has he accomplished with the Titans? Well, that's just not true, right? Like, what has he accomplished with the Titans? What are you talking about? I'll be that guy. I like Gerard Mayo. What has Gerard Mayo accomplished as a coach? Mike Vrabel walked into the Tennessee Titans and had four winning seasons in a row. They won playoff games. Two playoff games. In his second year. I I mean, look. Are the Titans a tremendous powerhouse team? No. No. But which one of these teams was supposed to be? You look at their best year, the 12-5 and Titans, right? Ryan Tannehill, 21 touchdowns to 14 picks. Derrick Henry played eight games. He played eight games. What? You won 12 games with this? Oh, by the way, remember A.J. Brown used to be on the Titans. Who made the trade? Was that Vrabel's idea? Was it the old GM's idea? Was it the new GM's idea? I don't know. Fact of the matter is, A.J. Brown's looked pretty good in Philly Green. Not playing for you guys anymore. I don't know. It's a weird one to me. And look, here's the thing. You could be a fan of Gerard Mayo and support that hire without bringing down Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel's a good ball coach. He really is. And I'll say this. I, I ripped before. They talked about they being generally, whether it be fans or the media, more the media than the fans, Mike Tomlin having no losing seasons, right? This is the power of having no losing seasons. Because Mike Vrabel, in the past couple of years, his teams have been to the postseason, won two games and one playoff run. That's more than Pittsburgh can say. He's gone. He's gone. He couldn't keep that level of above average, that level of just good enough. We didn't have a losing season, but we're just we're almost there. He couldn't do it. Mike Tomlin can't. Kudos to Mike Tomlin. Not like the Steelers would change coaches very quickly anyway, but you get my point. 
there is some value there to the ownership perspective, at least. More Black Monday news. Obviously, we talked about Belichick. What's going to happen to Steve Belichick is my question. Wasn't he in the defensive room with Gerard Mayo? So, like, is Mayo going to keep on Steve Belichick as, like, a, a wink-wink-nudge-nudge to, to Bill? For I mean, like, you know, Gerard had a good career. He brought Gerard in, obviously. He brought him onto the coaching staff. He's really helped his career. He's like, hey, man, let my, let my kids stay on on the coaching staff. Is that going to happen? Like, would you feel – if you're Gerard Mayo, comment section, social media, you know the deal. If you're Gerard Mayo, would you feel like, like, yeah, I probably got to keep this guy around now, right? Like, if it wasn't for your pappy, if it wasn't for your dad – you know, who knows how my career could have played out. If I wouldn't have got drafted by the Patriots, if I wouldn't have got hired to be on the coaching staff, obviously I wouldn't be the head coach right now. I don't know. I feel like I kind of feel obligated to at least give him some kind of title, assuming he wants to say. Um, additionally, Pete Carroll out in Seattle just about a day after he talked about how he wanted to keep coaching, which is awkward. Um, we also have Nick Saban, not a Black Monday thing, but it kind of fits out at Alabama, which leads the rumor mill to start putting NFL head coaches into the, oh, do you want to go coach at Alabama? Hmm. Does Bill Belichick at 70 years old want to learn college football? Yeah, probably not. Does Bill Belichick want to coach again? Unclear. There was one report saying that some front offices of some of these playoff teams might be looking at Bill Belichick if they're unable to pull out a playoff victory this weekend that may or may not include the Cowboys. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. May or may not include the Eagles, who seems to have quickly, their fan base at least, quickly soured on Nick Sirianni. Join the club. I've been leading the charge for a while. Um, I'm not the only one. Um, yeah. So just some food for thought as we move forward. Pushing into number five. On the standout seven as we wrap up on Black Monday. As we get deeper into our playoff preview episode. Just some things to breeze through real quick. Before we get to the playoff bracket. The Atlanta Falcons New Orleans Saints drama. So the game is is what? 41-17 to 17 at the time of this incident. We have an interception run back into the red zone by New Orleans. By the way the Falcons were winning 14-7 at one point. Uh, 14 to 7 and you get outscored 41 to 3. At that time 34 to 3. Anyway, so it's run back into the red zone and it the call from Dennis Allen reportedly is just go out and kneel it end the season. It's a winning season, you know, we didn't make the playoffs, but you know, we had a winning season. There's something to be said for that as we just talked about. And Jameis Winston goes out there and just says, no, I don't want to do that. Because we signed Jamal Williams in the offseason. Jamal Williams off the best season of his career, in which he had more touchdowns than every other season in his career combined. He had 1,000 rushing yards. He had 17 touchdowns. We have given him the ball less times this season than every other one of his professional years as a running back. Less than as a rookie in Green Bay. Less than both years in Detroit. He has 300 rushing yards. He has no touchdowns. This is a man that had 17 touchdowns. He came to our offense. Worse team than Detroit. And he can't get the ball. You know what? We feel bad for him. 
we feel bad for Jamal. Jamal seems to be a good dude. We've seen a bunch of things about Jamal being a positive influence, a good guy. The fans like him, things like that. Well, Jameis Winston said, you know what? I'm a good team chemistry guy. I want our boy to get a touchdown. Let's get him a touchdown. They go victory formation. Oh, gotcha. With a little uh, a little run play out of the victory formation. How's that feel? Yep, they were angry. Arthur Smith was wang, wang, wang. And then Arthur Smith got fired, so who cares? Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't really understand why Dennis Allen is uh, necessarily... Put it this way. I don't think Dennis Allen will have a job at the end of next season. He had two years in Oakland at 4-12 and 12 apiece. The third year he went 0-4, they fired him. First year in New Orleans, he goes 7-10. and 10. He goes 7-10 and 10 with Andy Dalton playing a lot of those games at QB. 18 touchdowns and 9 picks. Eh, okay. A veteran QB on the back end of his career. They get Derek Carr, 9-8, and eight, veteran QB on the back end of his career. More tread on the tire than Dalton, admittedly. I'm not certain this Saints core is really built to win right now. I think they may be in a situation come later in the offseason or midpoint next year where they look at Alvin Kamara and they go, that's a tradable asset. Look at what the Carolina Panthers got for Christian McCaffrey. Let's see if we can do that with Kamara. Let's see if someone's interested in Michael Thomas. I know he's hurt frequently, but let's see if someone's interested. And I think that makes him expendable. Now, I bring that up because he was kind of throwing Jameis under the bus and saying, well, I didn't do this because he thought people would be mad at him. No one was mad at you, Dennis. The only one that was mad was Arthur Smith. What, do you guys go to the country club and play golf together? Nobody's going to play golf with you anymore? The players didn't care that you gave Jamal Adams a touchdown. In fact, the players would prefer that you would give their guy a chance to score. They know he's had a rough year. The team's had a rough year. You're going to miss the postseason. He got a touchdown. Is it super meaningful? No. Is he going to remember that game ball? Is he going to frame it in his house? No. But you know what? It was the end of a rough year, and it was a nice thing by your backup quarterback to say, hey, man, backup QB to backup running back, or spell running back, I would say. You know You know what? We'll get you a touchdown, man. It's been a rough one. Thanks for coming to New Orleans. We appreciate you. You're in the prime of your career. You're 28 going on 29 years old. You're a good player. I think it's weird that he got so defensive about it. I think it's weird that he threw Jameis under the bus. And I think, realistically, I, I, don't, I don't know why Atlanta got so offended. You're getting blown out. Like, and I heard on talk radio in New York talking about, well, it was because it was out of the victory formation. Was it? Really? Was that the problem? Nobody got hurt. Who cares? Remember when Shiano had them diving at Eli Manning's knees during the victory formation and Coughlin was hot? Yeah, I understand that one because someone could have got hurt, but this is a one-yard run. The linemen are going half-hearted. It's the end of your season for both of you. What does it matter? What does it matter? Number six in the standout seven. Just wanted to touch on this one real quick. Reports coming out that Arizona has decided they want to build around Kyler Murray. Now, Murray only played eight games this year. 1,800 yards passing, 10 touchdowns to 5 interceptions. The mobility was still there. He rushed for 244 yards and 3 touchdowns. 
Um, he's just 26 going on 27. I think Kyler's a pretty talented player. It's interesting to me because as we talk about the finalized draft order, it seems to be the consensus from prognosticators that this means that Arizona is going to be the team that winds up in all likelihood with a Marvin Harrison, perhaps, right? As we take a look per NFL.com here, the official order, we've got number one, the Chicago Bears, likely going to be a quarterback either by them or another team. Number two, the Commanders, likely going to be a quarterback. Patriots at three could be a QB. Number four, the Cardinals. So could they be in a situation where, let's say, somebody wants to jump over the Giants if there's a QB that's sliding a couple of picks? Would they trade down a little bit? I don't know. Or would they just take Marvin Harrison Jr., who seems to be ready to be an NFL caliber wideout from what I've seen of him at the collegiate level? And uh, he certainly got the pedigree there. Doesn't guarantee you anything, but Joey Porter Jr.'s kid is pretty Joey Porter Jr. is pretty good, rather. Patrick Sertan the second, pretty good. Um, Asante Samuel Jr., pretty good. That NFL pedigree usually means some NFL technique at a much younger age. Maybe some thought processes that aren't usually there at that young as a competitor. Let's see what happens. Do I think it's the right move? I think it's a move. I think being behind the other teams that are going to get the marquee QBs kind of motivates your decision a little bit. Um, I get it. It probably is the right move, all things considered. Um, Let's see how it works out for them. It's a tough division they're in. So it doesn't matter who's playing QB necessarily. They're still going to have to go through San Francisco. Still going to have to go through the Rams, who are all of a sudden a playoff team. And, oh, by the way, Seattle just barely missed it themselves. Number seven in the standout seven, assorted news and notes here before we pick the playoff games. And I'll give you my Super Bowl pick as of right now. Uh, Report from Diana Rossini. The Jets told Zach Wilson they had plans to trade him this offseason when he was benched, which was intriguing to me. Because then you have the thing that came out that, oh, he doesn't want to play. Well, if I'm not going to be playing for you next year anyway, how do I know that you have my best interest at heart sort of thing? Right? And then he winds up getting injured, of course, anyway. Winds up getting a concussion. Which is not what you want if you're him. Um, a little bit of a discussion about the Peacock-only playoff game. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. Bird pun intended. But I'll give you this point of fact Wall Street Journal reported in May that NBC Universal had paid $110 million for this one playoff game. One year deal. It just so happens that they got Dolphins at the defending champions. Just so happens. Next note here is an interesting one. Um, Spot Rack talking about Jimmy Garoppolo as there's a report that the Vegas Raiders are going to move on from Jimmy G this offseason. He's going to get paid $11.25 million on the way out, and he was paid $24.25 million for his efforts this season. If you go back to the offseason episodes, and I implore you to do so, because I call myself Nostradonautic, not because it fits my name so smoothly, but because sometimes it's just obvious, and I'm apparently the only one pointing it out. When they signed Jimmy Garoppolo, I said it made no sense. It would not, in all likelihood, lead to them winning the division or really winning anything. Uh, as a game manager on a team that needed a playmaker at the quarterback position, thought they'd be better even with Derek Carr, if I'm being completely blunt with you. They didn't go out and get Aaron Rodgers, which is presumably what Devontae Adams wanted. Here we are. Another point of contention about Devontae Adams while I'm here, apparently, 
Jets star receiver Garrett Wilson is changing his number. Oh, by the way, what number did he wear before? Garrett Wilson wore number 17. No longer going to be wearing number 17. Apparently next year you're going to be wearing number 5. That opens up number 17 to a certain former Green Bay Packer wideout who might be on a bad team, who might be looking to play with his buddy, Aaron Rodgers. We won't go into the Rodgers, Pat McAfee weird drama. You guys can get covered to that elsewhere. It's not what we're here to talk about. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven and take us into the pick'em portion, my favorite part, your favorite part of every episode. Worth noting, we did improve this year in the regular season. We saw a four-game improvement over last year's record in the win column. Granted, last year there was two ties, which was weird. So, realistically, the losses only went down by a little bit. Uh, 62.9% if we're rounding to the 10th, if you want the full number. It's 62.868, which is truncated after three digits. Our career high, my career high, uh, was 2022 when we were at 65.5, rounded to the 10th, right? Had 65.49 in 19, about the same. Um, But we're trending back up. Good numbers. Worth noting as well, last week we were 13-3. That was our best week of the season. Usually, early in the year, I rattle off a 13-3, a 14-2. I think once I even got a 15-1. Real hard to get every game, guys. Um, but no, this year was much more consistent. 11 and 5s, 11 and 5s, straight across the board. And here we are, ready for the postseason. Going to pick through the games of this weekend, then we'll do the full bracket. Our first game, Saturday, which is today if you're listening. If you're listening on Sunday, well, you know if I'm wrong already. 4.30 p.m. on NBC, as well as Peacock and Telemundo from Energy Stadium. The Cleveland Browns, led by Joe Flacco, oh, excuse me, Joe Flacco, take on the Texans. Texans, the home team, going to be without Jerry Hughes with an ankle injury. Questionable. Wide receiver Noah Brown with a back. Wide receiver Robert Woods with a hip injury, as well as fullback Andrew Beck with a calf. Also, three, excuse me, four D linemen listed as questionable. Rookie Big Will Anderson with an ankle. Jonathan Greenard with an ankle as well. Sheldon Rankins with a shoulder, and Malik Collins with a hip. The Browns, going to be without wide receiver Cedric Tillman with a concussion, safety Grant Delpit with a groin, and a big one, their kicker, Dustin Hopkins, will not play. He has a hamstring injury to the non-kicking leg. Interesting. Questionable for them. Backup running back Pierre Strong Jr. Corners, Mike Ford Jr. with a calf, Denzel Ward with a knee, and Juan Thornhill with a calf. Three big injuries in their secondary. Now, I mentioned before, maybe I underrated Houston's supporting cast. Well, if you're going to be without Denzel Ward and potentially Juan Thornhill, maybe Nico Collins could take the top off the defense a little bit easier. Who do I have in this one, this game in Houston? I'm going to go with the Browns. I think this Browns team, David Njoku looks more involved in the offense. Amari Cooper looks... Much more like Amari Cooper than he did with Deshaun Watson. Flacco is ready and willing to air it out. The only thing that gives me cause to pause is Flacco is ready and willing to air it out. And D'Amico Ryan's defense kind of runs around sometimes. They can get to a QB that doesn't have the mobility like someone in Flacco. Will Cleveland be able to piece together a bit of a running game considering they're on their third back here? right? Second or third back with Chubb gone? Uh, I'm not certain. But I think they'll be able to do enough. And their defense is no slouch either. 
Give me the Browns to win a playoff game, upset to start our postseason. Our second Saturday game, this is the Peacock game, 8 p.m. from Arrowhead Stadium. The Miami Dolphins take on the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. Dolphins going to be without corner Xavier Howard with a foot injury. Questionable, big ones. Running back Raheem Mostert, knee slash ankle. Wide receiver Jalen Waddell, ankle. Two safeties, Deshaun Elliott with a calf and Javon Holland with knees. Chiefs going to be without O-lineman Wanya Morris with a concussion. Questionable two wideouts in Justin Ross with a hammy and Kadarius Toney with a hip slash ankle. Oh no, Chiefs fans are surely going to be missing Kadarius Toney if he's not on the field. This is an intriguing one to me. Because if we were picking in a vacuum, I would say that Miami is almost easily the better team. However, you bring into account the injuries they've sustained in recent weeks. You bring into account the fact that this team is so injured on their defensive side, they're signing Bruce Irvin and Justin Houston as pass rushers. No Van Ginkle in this game. No Bradley Chubb, obviously. Potentially no Waddle. Potentially no Mostert. This team is beat up. I think Tyreek Hill is ready and willing to have a monster game. One of those legacy games that you'll talk about in a handful of years if and when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame. Remember when he went back to Kansas City and won that game on his own? Right? 225 yards and three touchdowns. Or, this could be another in the long line of legacy building games for one Patrick Mahomes. Where you're looking at a team that somehow became a defense-first team in Kansas City, led by Steve Spagnuolo. Shout out to Steve. Super Bowl champion, multiple times over at this point, as a D coordinator. And, you know what? It's not going to be the Mr. Taylor Swift show. It might be the Isaiah Pacheco show. It might be Patrick Mahomes being the sneakiest, least athletic mobile QB ever, like I always call him, and scrambling like you're hearing the Kermit the Frog scream in your head for 13 yards when it was third and nine. Might be some of that. And for that reason, as much as I think Miami might be poised to pull off, I guess, a quote-unquote upset, or more accurately, get a win on the road, I'm going to have to default to the Chiefs here. I really am. I'm going to have to see it to believe it. Sorry, Dolphin fan. Give me Kansas City to win at home. That'll push us into the Sunday slate of games, 1 p.m., on CBS and Paramount Plus, the Pittsburgh Steelers head to, potentially, Buffalo to take on the Bills. Might be in Buffalo, might be in Cleveland, might be in Minnesota, might be on the moon. Either way, TJ Watt is not going to be out there for the Pittsburgh Steelers, sustaining an MCL injury in their season-ending regular season, or excuse me, regular season-ending game against Baltimore. The Bills are going to be without wide receiver Gabe Davis with a knee injury. Safety Taylor Rapp with a calf. Questionable. Linebacker Tyrell Dodson with a shoulder and corner Rasul Douglas with a knee. The big question with Buffalo is the big question they always have. Will Josh Allen be Brett Favre or will he be Brett Favre? Will he throw a ball through a brick wall and it'll be a 75-yard touchdown to Khalil Shakir? Or will it be a overthrow to Diggs that is intercepted by Minka Fitzpatrick? Things that make you go, hmm. I'm banking in this game, Buffalo's going to come out on top. It's going to be really hard for me. And look, sorry, Steeler fan, 
even if you guys win this game, just know you're probably not going to get a super amount of love out of me here. Your defense is great. I like Najee Harris. I like Jalen Warren, George Pickens. Not super sold on Deontay Johnson in terms of the drops, but he's a decent wideout as well. The thing is, it's it's Mason Rudolph, right? It's Mason Rudolph, guys. That's what makes this an interesting proposition. You're not only asking me to pick against the Buffalo Bills, likely in Buffalo. You're asking me to pick against the Buffalo Bills, likely in Buffalo, for not even a journeyman. The guy's been like a backup QB for Pittsburgh for how long? Forever. It's a big ask. And it would be a big win for Pittsburgh. But I just don't see it happening. That moves us to 430. Fox and Fox Deportes. We've got the Mike McCarthy Bowl. The Green Bay Packers head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Packers listing running back A.J. Dillon as doubtful with a thumb-slash-neck injury. Questionable. Wide receiver Christian Watson with a hammy, as well as corner Jair Alexander with a shoulder-slash-ankle, fresh off of his suspension for saying that he deserves to be a captain on the team because he's from the Carolinas? Anyway, the Cowboys listing just one questionable backup QB, Cooper Rush, with an illness. This would be a massive win for Green Bay. Not only because it's Jordan Love's rookie year, not only because Aaron Rodgers did nothing this year due to the injury, not only because it would be against the Dallas Cowboys with a star on the helmet, two legacy franchises in Jerry World, it would affirm everything about Jordan Love, but because this legitimately, if they pull off this upset, could be the end of Mike McCarthy's career as the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I am of the opinion that those rumors have some validity. This is their third consecutive 12-5 and five year. 6-10 and 10 the first year. 12-5 and five had the playoffs go. No wins. Last year, 12-5 and five had the playoffs go. One win. Who'd you beat? You beat the Buccaneers, who snuck in because someone from their division had to be in. Then they lost to the Niners. Okay. I tend to think Dallas is the better team. I'm going to take Dallas to win this game. But I think palms are going to be real sweaty in this stadium if Aaron Jones starts toting the rock and he's getting five yards of carry, four here, six there. They hit a play-action deep shot to Dobbs. Look, or if Watson goes, maybe to Watson, maybe to Jaden Reed. Do they have the best receiving core? No. They have a very young receiving core, and there's volatility there. Sometimes they look pretty darn good. Sometimes not so much. If I were a betting man, I'd take Dallas in this game. Give me the Cowboys to win at home. That brings us to Sunday Night Football, the game that I predicted what, a month in advance? If you've been around, thanks for sticking around. If you haven't, move back a little because I've been calling this game for a while. 8 p.m. Eastern, NBC, Peacock, and Universo. The Rams heading to Ford Field to take on the Detroit Lions. Injury report, questionable for the Rams. Tight end Tyler Higby with a shoulder. That's a big one. Two O-linemen. Joe Noteboom with a foot and Kevin Dotson with a shoulder on the defensive side. D-lineman Bobby Brown III with an illness, linebacker Troy Reader with a knee, and safety Jordan Fuller with an ankle. For the Detroit Lions, they're going to be without wide receiver Khalif Raymond with a knee, tight end James Mitchell with a hand, linebacker James Houston with an ankle, and corner Jerry Jacobs. Questionable, tight end Sam Laporta with a knee, and DN John Kaminsky with an illness. Now the sad part about Laporta is 
He gets hurt in week 18. Second injury they sustain in kind of late in the game situation. I mean, it's rough. It's rough. You know what? It's all right. Because coming into this game, Laporta or not, you tend to think Detroit is the better team. The records say they're the better team, right? They've got Dan Campbell. You know his boys are going to be ready. You've got Amon Ross St. Brown, who on the Rams is going to be locking him down. However, we have two interesting quarterbacks. We have Jared Goff, who may or may not, on occasion, forget that he's a pretty darn good NFL QB and decide to throw the ball to the other team twice. You also have Matthew Stafford, who has the utmost confidence both in his arm strength, which is still pretty exceptional at his age, and his wide receivers in Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup and the gang. Intriguing. Who am I taking in this game? Well, the easy pick would be the Lions, just like I said with the Cowboys, right? The Cowboys are an easy pick. Take them over Green Bay. Yeah, yeah, we'll move on to the next one. However, I think this is going to be a pressure-packed game considering it is a Stafford return to Ford Field. There's some weird shenanigans talking about don't wear a Stafford jersey. Let me break this one down for you. I'm not a wealthy man. Never have been. Didn't grow up a wealthy man either. Fans only have so many jerseys, guys. You can't just randomly say, oh, don't wear the jersey of the guy who was your starting quarterback for all of those years. That was the safest purchase for a fan, for their kid, right? For themselves. It was him and Calvin Johnson, or you want to get an old Barry Sanders. Well, all right, I guess everyone's going to be wearing Calvin Johnson jerseys, because what other jerseys do they have? You think Amon Ross St. Brown? Look, I I like Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he's a legit NFL star at the receiver position. I don't think he's sold the amount of jerseys to where you can say, don't wear the Stafford ones, just wear his instead. Maybe one day, maybe in the coming years, but not yet. Not yet. Aiden Hutchison, is he going to be the one? I'm not sure yet. Either way, I think the pressure is going to be mounting, and I think Jared Goff has got a better chance to turn the ball over than Matthew Stafford. I think the Rams are not the better team, but I think at the end of the day, when you look at the scoreboard, the Rams are going to be walking away with a victory. Another X factor in this game. The Rams have had nightmares in their kicking game all year long. Could play a factor, obviously, in a playoff game. Give me the Rams. I'm shaky on it, but give me the Rams to win on the road. That brings us to our Monday night football matchup. Excuse me. Monday afternoon matchup. No, this is this is evening. It's listed as 1 p.m. on NFL.com, which is where we always go for injury reports, but Google has it at 8 p.m. It doesn't make any sense to have this game at 1 p.m. on a Monday. I'm disregarding it. Monday Night Football, it's in the name. Raymond James Stadium, the defending NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles head to Tampa to take on Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers. I'm taking Philly, guys. By the way, no injury report listed as of right now on NFL.com for this game. I'm, I'm taking I'm taking Philly. I know Philly's slumping. I know they're not doing well. I know you're supposed to peak at the right time, and they have valleyed at the wrong time. But the way Baker was running around out there against Carolina, their defense looked great, but it's Carolina's offense. They're awful. I tend to think Philly has too much firepower to be a one and done to the Carolina, excuse me, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
after all the hyping up I did of Baker, he's beat up. And that's a big factor for me. I think if they were fully healthy, maybe you could talk me into thinking this is going to be closer than I do. As is, give me Philly to win on the road and try and right the ship at the big pirate ship. Alrighty. So that'll bring us to no, no, no. That will not bring us to the end of the pick and portion. We've got to go through the whole postseason, folks. If those picks are correct, and if we're picking the future, we've got to assume they are, that will lead us to an AFC bracket of Baltimore hosting the Cleveland Browns and Buffalo hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. And on the NFC side, we will have San Francisco hosting the Rams and the Dallas Cowboys hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the NFL would be very happy with all of these outcomes. Picking the divisional round in the AFC first. Baltimore playing host to Cleveland. I think it could be weirdly interesting, but I I don't know. It would take a Herculean performance from, like, Miles Garrett or Lamar Jackson would have to really, really fudge the Huggies, and they're giving him the MVP already, so, I mean, how much can you really fudge the Huggies at that point? Um, Baltimore's defense is so good. I'm going to take Baltimore to win that one at home. Buffalo versus Kansas City. I'm not super sold on Kansas City. If Buffalo can make it through Pittsburgh, which is kind of a gritty game, I think they can make it through Kansas City, right? This will be a year. I've been saying it for weeks. You have a rough start. That's usually somehow the year that you make the run. Baltimore playing Buffalo in Maryland for the AFC Championship. NFC side of the bracket, I've got San Francisco beating the Rams, and I've got Dallas losing at home to the Philadelphia Eagles and continuing the Nick Sirianni reign of terror in the NFC East. Will that be enough for Mike McCarthy to keep his job? I'm not certain. It'd be kind of embarrassing to lose to a division rival in the divisional round at home. I think Philly is better than Dallas when they're playing at their best. Will they be playing at their best? I'm not certain. I'm really not, because it it might be CeeDee Lamb taking off for 230 yards, and Philly just weird play calling on their offense. And uh, remember when DeAndre Swift was like, everybody's like, oh, he's a superstar, and then he doesn't really get the ball as much. Anyway, um, San Francisco hosting Philly in the championship game on the NFC. AFC side, I've got Baltimore and Buffalo in Baltimore. Now, it'd be real gutsy of me to pick Baltimore to lose this game. That's my opinion. Because we're looking at Buffalo. Gabe Davis is hurt, right? They've got some injuries. This is the weird year. They're facing the MVP, presumptive MVP, I should say, at home. They're rolling on all cylinders. Their defense is flying high. When I sat down to pick everything, I picked Baltimore to win the AFC. But in the name of content... And in the name of making it interesting, I'm not going to go full chalk on you. I'm going to take Buffalo. Keep the story rolling. In the words of Cody Rhodes, I've got to finish the story. Give me Buffalo to win the AFC and make it back to the Super Bowl in the first time in a long time. NFC side, we've got San Francisco Philly part two. Last year was in Philly. Everything went wrong for the Niners. I'm taking the Niners since this game is in Santa Clara, to win this one. I think they showed earlier in the regular season they're every bit as good as Philly. They beat them down bad. They're every bit as good as the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think they'll show that 
in an NFC Championship game where Kyle Shanahan will rile his boys up and have them ready to exact some playoff revenge. That means that we will have a Super Bowl featuring the best record from the NFC in the San Francisco 49ers and the two seed from the AFC in the Buffalo Bills. Wow. That's a legendary matchup, huh? Bills-Niners. Who wins this matchup? Well, at this point, and like I said, I'm picking with momentum because I've got no other way to do it. Pick the other matchup as we get there, obviously, but you got to have some fun sometimes. Buffalo will be rolling, having beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Baltimore Ravens. The Niners on the other side will have beaten their division rival Rams and the Philadelphia Eagles, the boogeyman that knocked them out before. The Niners returning to the Super Bowl, the scene of the crime, where they blew the lead against the Chiefs, against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, trying to exact some demons of their own, exercise some demons of their own, I should say. Madden cover, curse be damned. Josh Allen is going to lead these boys to the championship game. Now, who will win this game? This is interesting. If you wind up in a situation where Buffalo kind of gets ahead, Buffalo doesn't really like to sit on the ball, right? So you might still wind up in a situation where Josh Allen could be throwing the ball to the wrong team. Now, we saw Brock Purdy throw a million interceptions against the Baltimore Ravens, two of which were tipped, but it is what it is. One, Actually, three, technically, I think. One off a bad read, one off the, oh, was it two or three? Either way, doesn't make a difference. He played awful, right? But that game was still close. This San Francisco team is that good. I think San Francisco is the best team in the NFL. Minus the blip against Baltimore, minus the blip earlier in the year, they've showed that. I'm going to take the San Francisco 49ers to beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Now you might be asking yourself, well, Nick, you just said when you sat down before, you were thinking chalk. You were thinking Niners against the Ravens. Who do you think was going to win that one? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I was going to pick San Francisco. Because I think San Francisco, despite the fact that they turned the ball over 47 times in that game, were barely losing until the late third when things really got away. That was the best possible circumstances for Baltimore, and they were barely winning. Give me San Francisco over Buffalo, and if we would have got to San Francisco-Baltimore, I was leaning San Francisco as well. Now, I mentioned, what were my early season picks? Well, we're going to have to go back in the episodes a little bit here because you got to remember it was quite a while back in the season so this is episode number 167 167 there's your number we did a Super Bowl prediction and I had the Cincinnati Bengals winning the Super Bowl over the Philadelphia Eagles that was my pick not a great one then again Joe Burrow gets hurt. You can't really blame that one on me, can you? Either way, that'll bring us to the end of an elongated ending to the pick'em portion of episode number 186 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend. We'll break down the super wild card weekend happenings. Hope you all have a great time watching, whether you're watching with family, friends, by yourself, on your computer, whatever you're doing, on your TV, in front of a big screen or a small screen. Hope you enjoy it. If you're rooting for your team, I'm rooting for your team, too, unless I pick the other team, in which case, hate to break it to you, can't do it. Uh, Join us again next weekend for episode number 187. We'll break all that down. We'll dive into the divisional weekend matchups. If it's your first episode, thanks for tuning in. 
Great time to tune in for the playoff push before we get to the offseason schedule. If it's your 186th, thank you for sticking around. And you'll know, as always, I'll be back next week. Your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.